Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, host of Task Force X. What, we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go ahead and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. And welcome to episode 53 of Task Force X. Sorry about, uh, about last episode having no episode out. Uh, life got the best of me and delayed me a little bit, but here we are. Uh, this month out, we're going to look at checkmate number 25, and Suicide Squad number 37. So let's go ahead and begin with Checkmate number 25. So the credits for this issue, again, as usual, this all comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics because, well, it's amazing. Uh, Checkmate 25 was cover dated February of 1990, but the on-sale date was January the 2nd of 1990. The cover price was $1.50. The title of this one was called Night After Night. This was 25 pages. The writer of this was the wonderful Paul Kupperberg, penciler Steve Irwin, inker Al Vey, letterer Albert Tobias de Guzman, Le- uh, colorist Juliana Fritter. The cover was done by Steve Irwin and Michael Baer. The editor was Jonathan Peterson. And the synopsis, again from Mike's Amazing World, Peacemaker has captured Andre Pierre Marzon, a leader in the conspiracy to assassinate scientists. However, the assassin named Flowers has already been dispatched to murder checkmate scientist Professor Braddock. Bishop is also after Braddock. Flowers, Bishop, and Peacemaker all arrive at Braddock's house at the same time. Peacemaker assumes that Bishop is the killer and starts fighting him. This allows Flowers to escape. Checkmate agents then arrive, including Winston, who is suspected to be in Bishop. Winston fights Bishop and finally unmasks him as checkmate night gone bad. Dun dun dun! Jacques Renard. Now, for my thoughts on this issue, as usual, we're going to start with the cover. This is issue twenty-five. It's a not double size, but but as far as I'm concerned, it's an anniversary issue. Uh, the cover at the very top says, "At last, the secret of Bishop revealed." Uh, we get the two checkmate checkmate. Checkmate knights fighting on the cover behind them, and I, I believe it's uh, what Shag and Rob call Serpent. We see the, the image of Bishop behind him. This guy's a dark purple. Uh, we got ground below on the ground, laying unconscious. It looks like we have Peacemaker laying there. It says, My enemy, my ally. Uh, again, this, in my opinion, is a great cover. I, I've always said I love the checkmate designs. I think the costume's great. I love having Bishop in the background behind one of the knights, like he's fighting also. The sky, we don't get a normal colored sky, but I think the purple and the dark purples in this really 
I don't know. It just really makes the, the, the image of the Knights in the front of it snap or pop. Uh, it's just a great cover. This, in fact, is probably in the top five, if not top three, of my Checkmate covers. I really love this one. I'll post a picture on the website. I'll post a picture on the Facebook page, uh, Pit Group. Be sure to check that out. But yeah, this is a fantastic cover. I love this one. Uh, moving on to the story itself, start off with a, a, a prologue, I guess. We see this nurse leaving this, uh, what is it, the Institute for the Hearing and Speech Impaired in San Jose, California. Hey, that's just a couple hours away from me. Uh, and while she, she's leaving, before she gets to her car, we see someone with gloves uh, arming, a, I'm assuming it's a bomb, and petting it looks like underneath her car and something in her wheel looks like. And then we pull back to see some checkmate, checkmate knights watching her. Uh, apparently, this this nurse is uh, Jacques Renee's uh, lover, and so they're trying to make sure she stays safe until Kayla Campbell from Checkmate can fly out and question her personally. And then we cut over to Peacemaker uh, Christopher Smith. He's getting ready to board his plane to fly. Uh, again, we get his people talking about how the boss, again, Peacemaker, was in a heck of a hurry. They only had an hour to prep the plane for a transatlantic flight. And we have Peacemaker talking to, I believe it was his girlfriend, explaining what he's going to do, that he's off to, to find that Marizan was once one of his closest friends, and now he's actually uh, a bad guy. In I'm saying bad guy. He betrayed him. He's been working with a master assassin known as Mr. Flowers, the guy that we've been following. And uh, the gal, she's like, but I don't understand. If Marson's in jail, who is this assassin still after? And then while they're talking, we get uh, a couple other guys standing here talking. And one's like, Christopher's leaving Miss Sinclair again, huh? Mr. Lewin. And Mr. Lewin's like, I fear these two shall never be together, Gunther. And again, I'm doing that own accent, and I don't know what language he speaks offhand, but it sounded good to me. And so we basically here we get here, Peacemaker, uh, Christopher is telling his girlfriend that Flowers is after Professor Braddock, which I talked about in the synopsis, who works with Checkmate. He was the one that was last issue. Uh, Bishop was trying to slip something in his coffee to kill him. And his girlfriend questions, well, check, that's one of Checkmate's men. Why don't you bring them in? And again, his behind, men behind him are talking to each other like, uh, Christopher isn't interested in bringing any third parties in. He wants to score, handle this personally. And the other guy's like, doesn't he always? And again, that just something about about Peacemaker, about Christopher Smith, that he's very hands-on. Uh, as Duke said in the first, I think it was the first G.I. Joe cartoon, I'm a man of action. That's kind of what Christopher Smith is. He, he feels he's taking this on. Uh, Flowers has gotten away from him before, so he feels it's his, his personal responsibility to try and stop Flowers. And again, it may be that he's a little insane, uh, and it may be because further on, after he gets on the plane and leaves, uh, his girlfriend wonders, you know, something's troubling him. Why won't he share? And and she talks to one of the guys, and she's like, Ross, why is he always running away from me? And he's like, there, there, child. It's just his way. You know that. Which, again, I'm not a psychologist. I just play one on TV. <laughs> but I, I would imagine that it sounds to me like uh, Christopher has some maybe abandonment issues, uh, issues with uh, attachment, getting close to people. 
again, as we've talked about, he is a little insane. So maybe he's using this peacemaker identity to help keep him getting close to people. Again, whether he's afraid they're going to leave him or they're going to get hurt. In his line of work, it's a very uh, possible scenario. So, And then we cut to the prison where Christopher's uh, good friend is at. <laughs> and again, his, his lawyer in quotes is there trying to get him out. His guy's like, this is outrageous. My client has already been interrogated without any legal counsel. The guard's like, he's charged with conspiracy to commit murder and treason. Quite frankly, you're lucky to see him at all. And so he goes in to see him. And again, uh, Andre uh, Martin, he's, you know, again, typical, again, it's quote, supervillain rant about how you know, the master, he would never betray the master. And uh, the exist, evidence against him is non-existent, save the word of peacemaker. And again, he says the, the usual, again, quote, villain comment that cost him frequent pay for putting me in here. One day, I'll see that bastard dead. So, again, I, I don't remember if, again, I haven't read ahead on this. I don't remember if this comes to fruition in here or if it's picked up later on. We'll have to wait and see. I'm curious now if uh, Martins comes after Peacemaker later on. But then we cut back over to Colorado where we get uh, Mystery Man coming in and talking with some other guys. And again, uh, Bishop, our Mystery Man, he, they keep him in shadow so we can't see who it is. Because, again, we unless you read the synopsis, you don't know who he is yet. Though, again, as I talked about last issue, which I guess I'll talk a little bit now, the cover last issue, which I kind of hinted and hawed and him hawed about and was trying not to give too much away. Uh, let's go back to that cut. Well, let's wait till the end. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place here. So... Again, they're letting on the peacemaker. The guys letting Bishop know that Peacemaker is piecing together their master plan, and he's on the way to stop Flowers. And the guy saying that if uh, Peacemaker does show up, Flowers will need the assistance of Bishop. And we got another Bishop suit laying there, and we got several people. So again, the whole Bishop thing's not just one lone knight that's gone rogue. There appears to be a, a whole organization or a, a whole group of people behind. Bishop. And then we cut back to the gal, the, the Jacques girlfriend as she's leaving, running as she's leaving. And we see a mystery guy, which I forget now, but I'd be one of its flowers uh, pulls out as his detonator. And okay. He did say something in the tire. It causes the tire to blow up. The car runs off the road and then he blows the car up. And again, so he tried to make it look like an accident, but again, uh, these are checkmate nights, so I'm in checkmate. I'm sure they're going to figure it out. But yeah, but it is nice how instead of just blowing the car up, he pets on the tire, so the tire blew first. She went off the road, flipped upside down, and they're saying, well, we got to get her out of there before the gas tank explodes. Looks like she was doing about 75, which would explain why she, she ran off the road like she did. And then he makes the car blow up, which again makes it look like it's uh, an accident. And again, one of the, uh, the pawns is like, that's an inferno. There's no way she could have survived that. What do we do now? Oh, we better notify Kala right away and pray that she won't assign us to the Arctic Circle. <laughs> What's she got to be mad at us for? It was an accident. It's not like we lost to an enemy agent as we see Flower sitting there watching the car burn. And again, we get a 
so we see Flowers in his car watching, and then we get a close-up of Flowers' face, and we see the fire reflected in his sunglasses. That's a really nice scene. I always like when they do things like that, and that we see something from someone's glasses. It's just an interesting shot. And then we're back into Checkmate headquarters in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And on the screen behind us, we see, I can't see who's in the first, looks like El Diablo. We got Green Arrow, The Question, a Checkmate Knight at Cape Canaveral, it looks like. Blackthorn, a rooftop somewhere. And off over Kyla's shoulder, we can't see who it is, but we see a, a symbol like an, an atom. Hmm, maybe it's the atom. Hmm, curious and curiouser. I don't think Adam shows up in here, but again, I just like the Adam, and I will be talking about him in the next couple months at some point over on Headspeak, so check that out. But anyways, the two guys are calling in to let Kyla know that they're, the nurse is dead. Uh, she was killed in an automobile accident, and Kyla's like, are you sure? Absolutely certain it was an accident. She's like, it happened right in front of us. So they're looking into things further to find out what's going on. And we're getting Kyla talking with uh, Valentina Volstock. Uh, used to be the, uh, I was going to say, invisible woman, negative woman over in Doom Patrol. And she's letting Valentina know that, that she believes that Bishop is one of their knights, either Winston O'Donnell or Jacques Renard. And she's like, well, have you talked to Jacques' girlfriend? And Kyla's like, well, ironically, we just got word she died in a car accident. Died? Just as you're opening an investigation? That's a little too convenient, don't you think? And she's like, we have a witness, though. And, and all of a sudden, Valentina calls in Harry to let him know what's going on. And I do like this. She's like, uh, Kyla's like, wait, if we're going by the seniority, shouldn't we call in Harvey before Mr. Stein? <laughs> Valentina lets us know what she thinks about Harvey. She's like, I've worn shirts with a higher IQ than Bullock. This is above his head, so I'm going to the top. Whenever I hear the phrase taken to the top or going to the top, uh, that song pops my mind. Maybe just because I'm a big rap fan of the, the uh, 80s rap. But <laughs> Anyways, uh, back to this actual story. Uh, then here we on the, uh, again, pages aren't, no, nine, page 10, we get Peacemaker on his jet. Uh, and I like this shot here. We have a Peacemaker. He's putting his boot on. He's got his, his foot up on the seat, pushing, tugging and pulling and trying to pull the boot on. And he's not struggling with, like, I made a sound, but it's just the way he's got his foot up on the seat and pulling his boot on. And uh, <laughs> so it, Peacemaker does call in to checkmate. And he tells them that Professor Braddock, one of their men, is in danger. And he suggests some protection for the man. And Kyla's like, wait a minute, how did you come by this information? And who is this alleged assass- assailant? And Peacemaker's like, answer the former. It's what I do. To the latter, he belongs to me. And it's that's very 80s action-y there. Right? He belongs to me. As he loads a, a magazine into his gun or whatever he's doing there. That's just... I, I, in fact, I would love... To, in fact, I'm going on a couple of different tangents here at the same time. My, my brain's shutting down. But I was going to say, I would love to see Peacemaker in a movie or a TV series. Because, again, he's very much 
suited towards that. And we are going to get that, actually. Supposedly, Peacemaker is supposed to show up in the the second Suicide Squad movie played by John Cena. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Again, not a huge, huge fan of Peacemaker, but I think he's a pretty cool character. The helmet looks a little goofy. And from the images I've seen, they're actually going to use that helmet in the the movie or pretty close to that helmet. So I'm actually quite happy with that. But again, we're not talking about the Suicide Squad movie. We're talking about Peacemaker. So Kyla's like, Peacemaker, these are serious charges. You got to supply me some more information. And he's all, you have what you need. Peacemaker out. And yeah, I think it's kind of funny that she's telling Peacemaker that it's serious charges that someone is going to assassinate one of their employees when she's already suspecting one of their people to be in Bishop. I know she doesn't want to give this information out to other people, but I just find that kind of kind of funny that, you know, she's like, well, it's, it's very serious charges. Well, so are you thinking one of your guys are bishop, lady? <laughs> but. <laughs> and again, so Peacemaker, again, this is his private jet. So he's got a his seat. He's got an injection. Well, not really an injection seat. It's a drop seat. The plane flies overhead. Uh, the shaft or whatever uh, chamber below him opens up and his chair drops and then he flies away with his, his boots or his, his uh, jetpack. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, I would, th- and it looks like the chair explodes when it gets down so far. So it doesn't hurt anybody when it falls. It seems like since he can fly with his jetpack, or whatever it is, it seems like it would be save some money. I know he's rich. He doesn't care about money. He's not like, you know, me look watching every dime and quarter I spend. But it seems like it would save him some money. And, you know, because he wouldn't have to pay for the extra chairs, the explosive material. If he would just, you know, the chair would open up, he would just drop out and fly away. I don't know why he really needs the chair. I think it's kind of, I mean, it looks really cool. And it'd be even cooler, I guess, if it had a parachute on it or a jet or something. So he was using that to fly. But since he can fly on his own, in quotes, with his jetpack, I don't know why he has the chair dropping and then exploding. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because he drops out and he's saying he can't think about him now. He has a mission to complete. Again, to think about his dad. He's like, time to activate my jetpack to control my descent. Then I'll cybernetically activate the chair self-destruct mechanism. Wouldn't want to fall on any innocent bystanders. So unless maybe the jetpack's just for short bursts and it, it wouldn't take him far enough down. I don't know. I, I just don't. I'm not quite sure about that. It just doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, again, just a minor nitpick from a great comic. So then we cut to Harry Stein's room where his phone's ringing. Phone's ringing. He tells Val that the custody battle is not going very well. And again, the judge is being very secret about what his plan is. And, and he's holding the phone away from his head as he hears Kyla yelling on the other, Kayla? Kayla yelling on the other at the base. Peacemaker, get back on the line this instant. Do you hear me, Mr. Hello? And he's like, what, what the heck's going on there? And Valerie is like, it's Kalia. She's on the line of Peacemaker. Oh, well, at least she used to be. <laughs> uh, and so, Val, uh, Valentina lets Harry know that first, you know, Reynard's girlfriend is dead. And now Peacemaker calls saying that there's someone's going to try to kill Braddock. And again, as I've said before, Harry's a great guy. He's He's got a lot on his, his plate. 
I mean, not only is he in charge of a multinational uh, secret government organization out to protect people, he's dealing with people getting killed, nuts like the uh, peacemaker coming and I want to say interfering, but he's helping him out, but not what Harry wants him to do. He does his own thing. Plus, he's got his his ex-wife battling him for custody of his kids. So, again, having someone that's been through a divorce, as I've said before, I, I feel for Harry. I haven't had it to the extreme that Harry's got it, but I feel for the poor guy. And then we get to the Interpol detective, uh, Carl Schiller, looking for flowers. And again, he's at the airport showing the flowers picture off to the uh, flight attendant, stewardess, whatever she is. And again, she confirms that she remembers seeing him going to, let me see real quick, flying to Boston from, by yeah, he's going to Boston from England by way of Los Angeles. And so he buys a ticket to Boston to follow along. And then we cut to Professor Braddock's house. We have someone watching it. And a, a I'm assuming it's a checkmate pawn. But as he's watching, let me see real quick. Yeah, it sounds like a punk. He's like, yeah, he is. I can't believe Campbell gave me century duty for that dingy Professor Braddock. After all, I just filed one wrong memo. Besides, who in the world is going to attack a professor in the middle of a crowded neighborhood? And a checkmate knight comes up and pets his hand over the uh, man's mouth and knocks him out or kills him. Not quite sure what he does there. And again, he's all in a whisper. Not a sound, my friend. I apologize for the sudden nap, but I need to brawl your roof. So again, we don't know if he's at this point, is he speaking quietly or is it the night that had his throat hurt? Uh, they're keeping it still kind of mysterious. And then we cut to the sewer systems below where we have Bishop stomping through the, the mud and what have you. So that tells us the one on top is actually a checkmate knight, more than likely. And because Bishop's down here, who we know is a checkmate knight. And uh, so, again, I'm assuming he just knocked the, the uh, pawn out. I'm assuming he didn't kill him since, again, I believe this is the, a good knight up there on top. And then we get uh, Sarge Dill talking to Harvey Bullock, telling him that, you know, Valstock's informed of the situation. He wants Braddock protected at all costs. And <laughs> Harvey's like, seems like Val alerted everyone but me. She and I are definitely overdue for another talk. And again, because Val and Harvey don't always see it eye to eye. She's not a big fan, as she said earlier, of Harvey. So, but again, there is a chain of command. And as long as Harvey's doing his job, whether you like or respect him or not, you should go through the chain of command. I'm a big going through chain of command type guy. So I think it's kind of silly that she, she's bypassing Bullock and skipping around and letting everyone else know when she should go up the chain of command. And as Harvey is talking to Sarge Dill, the, the one of the phones ring, he picks it up and he tells uh, Sarge Dill that it's a pawn that's calling in late, but it's actually the girl that he, he's been courting. And she's like, can we talk later? Okay, Harvey. I'll wait to hear from you soon. We have much to talk about. Bye. And she's hitting the phone. She's like, how was that? I did as you asked. And we get some of the shadows. You're fine, my dear. You sounded utterly convincing. So this tells us that the girl that's, that Bullock is interested in, that seems to be interested in him, either A, 
she she's duping him all along. She's not really interested in him. Or B, this mysterious figure is forcing her to do this. I'm not quite sure. Because, again, I don't remember how the story ended up. But looking at the way that Steve Irwin did the, the, the body language on this page, it looks like she's doing it against her will. Because she's hanging the phone up. She's got her head hanging low. Kind of, you know, hang dog like, I don't want to do this. But, you know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how it comes along in the story in the next couple of issues. And then we cut back over to Braddock's house where we have a pizza delivery guy coming with a pizza. But Flower uses some sort of gas and knocks him out, sprinkles something on the pizza. And he takes the pizza up. He's like, good evening. I have the pizza you ordered. That's $6.50, sir. And Braddock's like, $6.50? That doesn't sound right. Are you? Say, hey, speaking of sound, do you hear something funny? And we hear a rumble, rumble, rumble from, from below because we know that's Bishop coming underneath. Above him, we have Peacemaker flying up. And again, I like the 650 line because I don't remember if it was before this or at this time, uh, over in the Superman books, whenever anyone took a a, uh, a taxi anywhere, it was usually 650. So, and seeing how this was written by Paul Kupperberg, uh I get he did I he did some writing. I don't think he did much writing Superman at this time though. But again, I do like that 650 reference. Again, whether or not Paul was referencing the Superman books or not, I don't know. But I do like that reference. And then here on the next page, page 17 is a very great page. We get uh Bishop busting up through the ground. Uh the pizza delivery guy about ready to drop the pizza and peacemaker flying up and again we can see the pizza delivery guy in case you forgot is flowers we can see him here close up and the flowers recognizes peacemaker braddock recognizes bishop it's just a great page here uh like i say very action oriented uh this could almost be a cover itself if it didn't have the fantastic cover we already had but it's just a great scene here And so Peacemaker and Bishop go toe-to-toe. Uh, Peacemaker thinks that Bishop is actually Flowers, not recognizing Flowers as the pizza delivery guy. And Bishop's like, the name is Bishop, Peacemaker, but you might as well call me Death. And so he unloads on him. And again, as we've seen, this is very uh, heavy armor. Yeah, Peacemaker's like, let's see how you like it when some of my... Patented armor-piercing blast shells roast you up like a TV dinner. Uh-oh. And, because, uh, again, this armor is just armor. It's a very, I'm sure it's experimental. It's a very uh, powerful armor. And so his gun didn't do anything to it. And as he picks up Peacemaker and gets ready to, you know, off him, all of a sudden behind him he gets jumped by the knight that was watching from earlier. And Braddock's laying there on the ground and his glasses all disheveled. Uh, Flowers laying there, his face full of pizza. And he's like, oh, what's going on around here? But now's my chance to complete my assignment and kill Braddock in a very direct manner. Wait, that van. Damn it. A checkmate support unit. So again, a checkmate, as we said, a checkmate support unit jumps out as they unload. And Flowers uses a, a gas grenade of some sort to make his escape. And they see someone running off and... Uh, Braddock's, or no, one of the guys that came, he's like, wait, is that someone running off? I can't tell. I can barely see a thing. And the gal in charge is like, ignore him. Probably just a neighbor attracted by the commotion. There'll be more coming soon. 
So I have to work that much faster. Make way to the house. So again, so Flowers takes off saying he must alert the master. Meanwhile, in the house, we have the checkmate knight, Bishop, and Peacemaker fighting. Bishop opens up a panel in his arm to reveal some rockets. Then he fires a Peacemaker, which misses, goes out the window, and hits the house next door, setting it on fire. So again, Peacemaker being Peacemaker, he's willing to kill for peace. (laughs) He jumps out the window to fly over to save the neighbor. And meanwhile, his dad's like the ghost of his dad, if you will. Nine Christopher, your duty is to capture your adversary. Forget the children. They are worthless. And Peacemaker's like, no, I'll rescue the family knight. Bishop's yours. Don't let him get away. The knight's like, you got it. And he's thinking, Peacemaker choosing to save the family instead of killing Bishop? Control will never believe this. Meanwhile, his dad's like, Christopher, you weak-minded fool. That family is nothing. You hear me? Nothing. Their helplessness makes them almost pathetic as you. We will talk soon, my son, and we will come to a complete understanding of what I expect from you. So, and again, I, I love the fact, and I hope, I don't know if they will or not, but I really hope that the Suicide Squad movie, if they are using Peacemaker, if they do play up and use the, the deceased Nazi father angle, they may not, because a lot of people get uh, offended, if you will, by Nazis, as well as they should. Don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing Nazis, but I, I think... I don't know. I, I just think that, uh, that that's a very good, very good, very uh, interesting subplot for Peacemaker. And again, that's that's part of pretty much part of his character is that he's he's haunted in quotes by the the ghost in quotes of his father. So I really hope they use that because that's an interesting aspect. And as the night turns around, Bishop's gone. And again, he's like, I can't let him get away. He's the only proof I can use to clear my name. So at this point, we know this is this knight is either uh, Renard or uh, Winston. But again, uh, the synopsis already gives that away. So I, I can't really hide that at this point because I read the synopsis. But at this point in the story, if you're reading the story, you don't know who it is yet. Because again, they're, they're being very secretive about who's who. They're you know not saying, giving us who this is yet. And the knight chases after the knight. Yeah, the knight chases after Bishop, who's shedding pieces of his armor. And he follows him into a park where he comes face to face with another checkmate knight. He's all, so Kayla's suspicions were correct. One of us has gone over the other side. And so the knight, the bad knight, is saying that he's got to eliminate her tonight as soon as I killed you. Because again, Kayla's put it quicker together much more than... Uh, Kyla's put it together much quicker than he would have expected. And she keeps it up. She's going to finally deduce his true identity. Uh, the backup arrives, but they don't know who's who. Because again, these checkmate knights, they're made to look alike. So they don't know which one's which. And the bishop, or we'll call him, we're still going to refer to him, even though he's in a checkmate knight suit, is, you know, complaining that, you know, checkmate left me in the field to die. He's like, well, shouldn't I betray them? They show no loyalty to me. I'll never give checkmate the chance to determine my life's outcome again. Do you hear me? Never. As he knocks off the helmet, uh, Winston's helmet comes flying off. So we know at this point that it's Winston's the, the good guy, which tells us that Jacques Renard is the, the bishop. And Bishop's like, I'm sorry I didn't like this, but I can't leave any witnesses behind. You, my friend, are finished. And Winston's like, oh no, my friend, that's where you're wrong. And he hits him with his, his looks like a broken baton. I've only just begun. 
Maybe you don't give a damn about Checkmate, but I do. I've dedicated more than 10 years of my life to their cause and their service. But now because of scum like you, they've come to doubt my loyalty. Now they leave me. Sorry. Now they want me to leave. You bastard. I'm going to kill you because you want, while you meant to foul up Checkmate, you ended up destroying my life instead. So now I'm going to show the whole world the truth as he pulls off the night to reveal that Winston O'Donnell is an innocent man and that the one-two traitor within Checkmate is Jacques Renard. Next issue, things really hit the fan. Dun, dun, dun. Again, and uh, I'm not going to play this sound again. I'm just going to do it. But anyways, so and I love this last page. So this would be a good cover if we didn't have the actual cover and that other page. There's some really great pages in here. In fact, this is almost poster worthy this year. But again, we get uh, Winston standing over the prone figure of Jacques Renard laying on the ground, bleeding from his lip, his mouth. The checkmate agents arrive behind him to see all this. This is just a great page, a great story. I just love the way the story is playing out. And again, not having read this in quite a while, I forgot who was actually the knight and who, or who was the uh, who was bishop and how this all plays out. Again, I like the fact that I haven't read this in years, so a lot of this is still a surprise and mystery to me. Uh, but going back to issue twenty-four, real quick, as I mentioned briefly earlier, the cover. So this shows us that the person that Kyla is accusing of being Bishop has dark hair. Meanwhile, looking at the two of them, uh, Winston, the, the innocent man, has uh, brown, curlyish hair. Jacques has the darker, straight hair, much like the on the cover. So to finish critiquing the cover from last month, I didn't want to say a whole lot about because of the, you know, it, the spoilers on it. This kind of gives away who Bishop is. I, I wish they would have left the head in shadows more or something. I mean, that's what the hair is supposed to be in shadows, but it's the same color as Jacques' hair. So, I mean, if you're paying attention to the cover, this pretty much lashed as you told you who it was. So it wasn't too much of a surprise, this issue. But other than the the cover, in my opinion, kind of fouling up the, the storyline and the surprise, I think this is a really good issue. This is a really good series. Paul Kupperberg, uh, he's a great guy. I've talked to him on Facebook. I've interviewed him on the show. In fact, I've bought some comics from him uh, not too long ago online. He was selling some of his collection, signed books. I've got the thing in Manland. Uh, I'll post a picture of that. I know I've got it posted before on uh, the Headcast Network uh, Facebook group. So check that out. But yeah, this is a great story. Uh, Steve Irwin does a magnificent job on the inks. Uh, it's just great all around. Again, I like Suicide Squad better. It's a better book in my opinion, but Checkmate is damn good. That's all I can really say about that. I, I love it. Uh, but I guess I don't, I mean, I've been talking about half an hour. I guess that's all I really got to say about Checkmate for this month. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Suicide Squad. Listen to these promos. We'll be back with much more fun. Now, don't you change that channel, son. Dear Diary, four million years later is a highly advanced form of podcast. I don't really know if it's from the past or the future, but the hosts can think and have real feelings. I don't understand it, Joe. There's already been podcasts doing an episode-by-episode rewatch of the original Transformers cartoon series. Why would Two Dopes be doing another one? I... I don't like it. 
Something's wrong. Real wrong. Four Million Years Later is a podcast from me, Jersey Drozd. And his friend, Hoover. Who are two guys who've watched Transformers since 1984 and have never stopped thinking or talking about it. We've been friends for 25 years, and a large portion of our discussions have been about the details and minutia of the original animated series. So since 25 years still hasn't satiated our need for talking about this stuff, we've decided to put our thoughts and discussions to metaphorical tape and launch a podcast. So find 4 Million Years Later at your favorite podcatcher, or just go to 4millionyearslater.com and listen there. <laughs> Perfect! Absolute perfection! You are receiving a transmission from The Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. Which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. The Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. Drama. Lust. Snark. Comedy. Heartbreak. Creativity. Poetry, illicit affairs, rage, revenge, testosterone poisoning, gunshots, sculpture, feminine hygiene products, naked car crashes. You know what we haven't had in a long time? And liver. Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise, the audio adaptation, coming to your ear holes in late 2020 on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Liver is my life. We are green from head to toe. Now we go back to the show. And welcome back from the break. Uh, now we're going to look at the next book for this month, Suicide Squad number 37. The cover date is January of 1990. The on sale date was December 5th, 1989. The cover price was $1. The title of this was called Threads. Written by John Ostender and Kim Yell. Penciled by John K. Snyder III. Inker was Jeff Isherwood. Letterer Todd Klein. Colorist Carl Gafford. And the cover was done by Jeff Isherwood. And this was reprint. I'm sorry, this was edited by Dan Raspler. And this was reprinted in Suicide Squad Apocalypse Now trade paperback. From 2017. Uh, so this is basically the the epilogue 
to the Apocalypse Now storyline that's been running through the, the book for the last few months. Again, the credits and the synopsis I'm about to read comes, comes from Mike's Amazing World. The Suicide... Uh, try that again, kids. The Suicide Squad returns home from Apocalypse. Amanda Waller makes arrangements following Flo's death. Dr. Light is also dead. Count Vertigo nearly dies, but he has rushed to the infirmary and saved. Shade has been sent back to the meta. Barta and the former... I'm sorry, the forever people depart. Poison Ivy and Deadshot decide to stay. Bronze Tiger is called to Washington to explain to Sarge Dill why he disobeyed orders. Director Fury, the Council has made a decision. I recognize the Council has made a decision, but given that it's a stupid decision, I've elected to ignore it. The rest of the team readjust to being back on Earth. The Mad Pie Bomber strikes again, this time hitting Major Victory. Murph decides it's time to solve the mystery once and for all. Several pies are found in Punch's locker. Julian Waller both want to extract, extract revenge on Punch, but he claims they've been framed. Murph agrees. Murph then solves the mystery, pointing the finger at Captain Boomerang. He confesses, and Waller has him dropped off on a deserted island. And that is this issue. Now let's get my thoughts on it. As usual, I will start with the cover. The cover, we got our Suicide Squad logo. It says Quills of the Loa. Uh, we get some Loa woman dancing in her hand. She's one hand she's got a snake. The other hand she has a, a voodoo doll of Amanda Waller. Back in the doorway behind her is someone standing smoking a cigar. I'm not quite sure if that's Sarge Dill or who that is offhand. Uh, someone in a suit. Uh, I see the woman, you know, she's all, you know, a very beautiful woman. Around her is a bunch of dead bodies. We got, uh, can't quite make them out who they're supposed to be, but it's a very nice cover. I, I'm not, again, I'm just now getting back into rereading this series. I don't recall being a big fan of the Loa. I'm not a big fan of the voodoo and uh, that kind of storyline. So we'll see as we go through here. But it, it's it's a nice cover. It's just I don't know. It's it's. Let me put it this way: it's nicely done. I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but it, I can recognize it's a very nicely done cover. Uh, but then we go to the story itself. Uh, this I love this first page. It says the title threads, and we get uh, the Suicide Squad. Returning from Apocalypse, and we get Murph and John Economos standing watching. And again, I love this. It's a, not quite poster worthy, but it's a very nice splash panel or splash page. We get, like I say, next to us, we have John and Murph watching. We have a go across the screen, across the panel. And the background we have it's like a, almost like a church window above them there's a bright light coming and we have Amanda Waller front and center holding flow off to his, her side we have punch the other side we have vixen bronze tiger some of the uh forever men or forever people looks like maybe vixen there on the end it's just a very nice panel like I said, it's not a poster po poster worthy panel but it's a very nice page uh, we get a close-up Close shot of the Bell Rev patch on, I think that's uh, Murph's shoulder. 
And again, the, the, the characters that are just appearing aren't fully colored because we've got that bright light where they're flip booming in, boom to begin, if you will. But yeah, this is a great page. I love this page of artwork. And the next page, we have uh, John Economos, the warden. He's like, Flo, oh God, Amanda, she's not moving. And Amanda's like, Flo's dead, John. And these couple panels here at the top, John Snyder and Jeff Isherwood did a fantastic job. This middle panel here on the top, we have Amanda. She's got her eye clo eyes closed, and we can tell that she's she's in mourning for Flo's death. And John's also sad, and because again, Flo wasn't a a participant, if you will. She wasn't a uh, a member of the Suicide Squad per se. She wasn't evil. She wasn't powered. So again, she she was kind of tricked into going along because she was so much in love with Ben Turner, a.k.a. Bronze Tiger, that that Poison Ivy was able to convince her to, or no, Poison Ivy was uh, Lashina, was able to convince her to come along as a sacrifice, basically. And then we get Bronze Tiger holding Vixen saying, uh, let me see, real quick, sorry, back up just a second. Mando Waller saying Flo's dead. Bronze Tiger's holding Vixen saying, so our Dr. Light and Count Vertical, John, this time the squad has lived up to its name. Because again, they're called the Suicide Squad, so dying on a mission is to be expected, I guess. And then uh, Murph's like, scratch the eulogy for Vertigo. He's still alive, barely. And then we get Amanda Waller snapping into action. I mean, she's saddened by the death of her, I think it was her cousin or niece or whatever it was. And she's like, you heard the man, move it. John, call the infirmary and tell Dr. White that Vertigo's in route. So we get uh, Vixen and Bronze Tiger running off with Vertigo to get him to the infirmary. We get, uh, what's his name, from the 4th of, Ju 4th of July, Major Victory running with him. We get Murph's like, well, we sort of borrowed these two from Arkham Asylum. You want them shipped back? And again, I like this panel here. We get a close-up of Amanda's face, but one arises in shadow. It's just a very nicely done panel. Like I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm more a fan of the four-color superhero, but I love the, the darker, grittier tones used in this book because I think it really fits. And we get Poison Ivy saying, you know, I can't believe a girl like me was so gullible taken in by the likes of Lashina. And I like to make amends pet right things right if I can. I want to stay. And at this point, man is just, just saddened and disgusted with everything. Because, again, she's lost flow. Her family member, uh, the whole thing's just kind of gone to hell in a handbasket. So she's like, stay, go. It's fine with me. Deadshot's marginally useful. Notify Arkham Murph. And let Economos handle any flack. I got funeral arrangements to tend to. Edna May was never the big, easiest cousin to talk to or talk with. And I've got to tell her that her daughter's passed. So again, this we, we get, as Amanda's saying this, she's got her back to us. And again, as I've said before, I really don't like the later versions of Amanda closer to the New 52 and the New 52 version when she was a skinny, attractive woman. Don't get me wrong, I love Amanda Waller, but this panel here just is another one that sums Amanda up. Earlier on, I talked about, I think it was issue 10 or 13, where she was facing down Batman. Uh, this is another panel where, you know, she's just a broad woman walking away and she's got kind of in shadows but we see enough that it tells her I, I just love Amanda Waller she's a great character and I love this version of Amanda Waller 
And then we go back. We see John Economos talking with Nightshade, and he's kind of mourning Flo. He's like, you know, she always beat me, you know, at Batgammon. I mean, and uh, Nightshade's like, uh, John. And he's like, don't leave yet. Don't leave Eve. Not just yet. So, again, he's very much mourning the loss of, again, that wasn't like a love per se, but it, it was, they were like a family, if you will. The Suicide Squad, I don't know if I've said this before, the Suicide Squad is kind of like a family. Very dysfunctional and messed up family, but it's very much a family. And so Nightshade, she has a tear flowing from her eye for the loss, and she's like, why don't we go see Father Kramer, Okay. And John's like, okay, time to burn, earn a salary for once. Again, just a very heartwarming, very, very heartfelt couple of panels here with John uh, Economos expressing his grief over the death of Flo. Just very nicely done. And then we get the Fervor people. Uh, Mark, I think it was Moonrider, is offering Bart a ride home. And Mark's like, yes, time for a warrior's welcome. Time for the warrior's rest. Take me home to Scott, Mark. Because, again, as I've, talk, I've talked about before, uh, Barta is married to Scott Free, a.k.a. Mr. Miracle. They had their own book around this time. may have stopped by now. I'm not quite sure of the timing. I love that book. Out of all the Forever People and the New Gods, I, I've really tried to love all the series they've had that I've read. But Mr. Miracle is the only one I've really gotten into and I really loved. So, uh, But the next page, page five, we get Punch and Julie and Boomerang standing around Dr. Light's corpse. And Julie's like, yuck, yuck, yuck. What do I mean to act like that? And Boomerang's like, creepy heroism. That's what it was. You're up shoulders with these goody two-shoes long enough, and you go thing and goes daft. And that gets you dead. <laughs> At least the inset panel's like, Punch and Julie's looking at each other, go straight. Ugh. <laughs> Just a great panel. And right above that, the panel where they're talking... Punch and Julie and, and, and Boomerang. I, I love, we get Dr. Light, his eyes are open, he's just laid out, his costume's all mangled, he's just, he's dead. Deader than disco. He's dead, Jim. It's just a fantastic panel, I love that. And then the next panel we get, again, Punch is leaving and Dr. L or Boomerang's leaving. And again, they're still insulting Dr. Light. He's like, Punch is like, he was such a dweeb anyways. And Boomerang's like, Right, John, mate. A real deal brain, that one. And I guess he kicks Dr. Light's body. It <laughs> says kick. And we 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 see Dr. Light. He's kind of like a elongated man here. His head stretch, his neck is stretching, and he's got like a pain, look of pain on his face. And he's like, that's the thanks I get. I kick in the ribs. I deserve better than this. I died a hero. And off panel, we hear someone saying, loser, 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 tapping him on the shoulder. And then we get the two Dr. Light's their, their uh, metaphysical forms or whatever. Over Dr. Light's dead body, his eyes are just looking different direction. He, he is dead. <laughs> it's a great panel here on bottom of page five. It's a great panel. The two Dr. Lights are going at one another. And the, the old Dr. Light's like, you deserve better. I deserve better to be stuck with a stiffling winner like you. Liner like you for eternity and our Dr. Light is like you better take that you take that back you take that back right now I'm going to kill you nah, 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 nah. you can't kill a ghost oh yeah how about hurting one and they're fighting still on the, the uh, 
astral plane, I guess, on the, the metaphysical realm or whatever. And meanwhile, we get Murph talking with Ravon. He's saying, he's saying so you say Darkseid, Tom and Hyde's Lashina. What about Shade? And Ravon's like, Darkseid said he was sending everyone to their home. Since Shade's home was not from Earth, perhaps his return to Meta. And I, I don't know if Ravon's the best one to have this conversation. I don't know how much he knows about Shade. Uh, again, maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, I, I don't know if he's really the best person to be having this discussion. But again, we get a picture of Shade entering the Meta Realm. And he's like, it's just, well, Darkseid acted so similarly. What would I say to the others? How would I justify my actions to that woman's kin? I'm going home and the price paid is for my turn is unattainable. For another paid that price. I would debt that I someday will repay. And I believe after this, the next time Shade shows up is in his own series, which is a Vertigo series, which is very odd. I enjoyed first arc or two, but it's a very odd run. But that, that's when Shade shows up again, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if uh, this is ever followed up on anywhere. I don't think so. I don't know if, if John was going to follow up on this or what his plans were. And then on the next page, we have Bell Rev the next day. We got Amanda, I believe it's her sister, Mary, and the father, Kramer, sitting around talking about how Flo's body's ready to go back home. And yeah, I like the, the coloring on this panel is things are very dark. It's kind of a gloomy panel. The whole book's that way, but uh, it just seems very fitting. And then we go to the next page where we have, I think it's uh, Kale and Murph standing over a, a status chamber holding the uh, wild huntsman and his dog and his horse. I think they were part of the Global Guardians, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, if you give me a second... Yes, I was correct. He was part of the Global Guardians. Uh, he first showed up in Super Friends, issue number 45, back in June of 1981. Uh, looks like, I don't know much about him, but it looks like he was a reincarnation of a German warrior who was allied by a horse, Orkarn, and a hound, Donnerschlag, which is with him there. So that's what I felt like. So I, I know some about the Global Guardians, but not. I've read their Just League appearances, or I'm sorry, their Super Friend appearances. I've seen them here and there in the Justice League book. But I do like how Kel, again, Kel, as we talked about several issues back, is the the head or the front for the Suicide Squad, the, the public side. And he's worried about animals' rights activists getting on him if they find out that they got this dog and horse in a status sale. But apparently, again, from what Murph says, uh, the dog, the horse, and the man, the wild huntsman, all share a symbiotic relationship. And apparently if you separate them, they'll start dying. So it's interesting. And then as they're talking, so apparently, real quick, they're I guess they're working on a cell for wild huntsmen. 
I'm not sure where he came from offhand. I may have to look into that and see. Uh, but as I do that, uh, I do see here that uh, as they're talking, the Pythor again strikes and hits Major Victory, who goes along saying that he's going to, you know, tear his place brick from brick to find out who did it. And that's where Murph says, I think it's time to step up my investigation. This nonsense has gone on long enough. And then we get someone in the shadows. We can't see who it is thinking, hmm, maybe it's time to quit while I'm ahead. And while I was talking, I looked, and yeah, apparently the uh, Wild Huntsman fought uh, the Justice League members, Animal Man and Captain Adam. So I'm assuming it happened over in Justice League Europe. I did read that book, but it's been decades ago. I may have to reread some of those issues and find that. Upon being defeated, he fell into a coma with his animals, and that's who wound up here in the medical facility inside of Bell Rev. So apparently... The Just League issues happen right before this issue of Suicide Squad is what I'm assuming. Hmm, it's interesting. Anyways, uh, and then he will show back up later on. Um, I'm assuming in here, but I'm not. It may be over the Just League International because it's... I don't want to go into details here. So yeah, I'm assuming it's going to be in Just League International that he shows back up. Uh, for more on Just League International... Or Just League America, check out, or Just League Europe, one of the Just League books, probably Just League Europe. Uh, check out Friend of the Network, the, the Irredeemable Shags, JLI Wahaha podcast. It's a great show. Anyways, back to this book though. Next page, we have Nightshade leaving, and also uh, Mari, which is Vixen, and Bronze Tigers leaving. It looks like Nightshade is off to get some rest, and Bronze Tiger, a.k.a. Ben, and Vixen are off to see Star Sarge Steel, because if you remember right, a couple episodes, or a couple episodes ago, well, yeah, a couple of issues ago, uh, Bronze Tiger, a.k.a. Ben Turner, disregarded Sarge Steel's orders about staying behind, and... Uh, let me see here. And Ben says it's just pre pro forma. Nothing to be worried about. Uh, we'll see. But, <laughs> and again, here at the bottom of page nine, John Economos is saying, he's saying to himself that there's a real chance that he won't be a member of the squad after his meeting with Steel, much less leading it. Dun, dun, dun. And then the next couple pages we see, I'm going to butcher this name because it's a Russian name, uh, Stalvanok, also known as the Steel Wolf, who is uh, Russia's premier superhero, I guess, one of them. And uh, he's showing off. And again, I like this Sto uh, Stalvanok, Steel Wolf, let's call him Matt, make it easier on me, showed up first over in Firestorm, uh, issue 67 in January of 1988. So it was about two years ago, he, he showed up in Firestorm, again, being written by John Oshender. Uh, John's over here, so he's writing him in this book also. In fact, yeah, it looks like it was exactly two years ago he showed up over in Firestorm, again, the John Oshender written Firestorm. And I was reading Firestorm at this, at this time, so yeah, I got to say, I really enjoyed seeing him show up in here. Again, I'm not sure if I mentioned this here or not. I may have. I've forgotten. It's been a while. Books that John Ostender wrote 
seemed to have its own universe. I mean, they'd have other characters show up, other heroes, other villains. But the books that John wrote, he had his characters showing up in different books that he was writing at the time. So I really like that. And I appreciate that John was had so many books he was writing at this time. Gives you know, I love John Ostrander's writing. And I just I think it's fantastic that, you know, he, he's got these characters not just show up in one book, but they'll show up in multiple books. So again, like I say, Still Wolf is one of those. He started off over in Firestorm, uh, and then he came over here for a while, then he went back to Firestorm. I think he went back to Firestorm. I'm not sure offhand. I was looking online trying to see, but <clears throat> looking at uh, comicbookrealm.com anyways, it said he was in Firestorm issue 73 in July of 88. No. Firestorm 81 in January of 89. And then a year later, he showed up in here. So he may not have been. <clears throat> he may have not been in Firestorm after. I don't remember now. It's been, again, it's been a while. Uh, but anyways, more on Firestorm. Eventually, I'm sure Shag will get to these books. Over on the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, he talks about the Firestorm. I haven't got this era, but... They should be there at some point, hopefully. But anyways, but yeah, they're talking about, if you don't know who, if you don't read Firestorm, you don't know who Still Wolf is. They, they kind of explain, you know, they, they show he's powerful. He's, he's defeating the uh, members of the People's Army. And he, he's clearly recovered quickly. And one of the guys watching is like, what a brute. It seems impossible that he's well over 80. And they tell us it's a side effect of the serum that turned a, a peasant into the Still Wolf. Uh, it looked like it was something Stalin did. He had the formula destroyed afterwards. But, and again, this guy that's on the page, I forget his name offhand. Oh, there it is. Uh, Zastro. He was also in Firestorm. In fact, there was a really cool cover of Firestorm where we had a close-up of uh, Zastro's face and we could see Firestorm coming at him in his glasses. Uh, again, Fire, uh, Zastro and... Still Wolf showed up quite a bit over there in Firestorm for a while, so. But this isn't a Firestorm podcast. Let's get back to the Suicide Squad. And again, uh, we know that, again, they're not really appearing in this issue other than this, but they will be making their appearance in Suicide Squad uh, known a bit more in, well, in just a few more issues, actually. But that's for a couple months down the road. Uh, then we cut over to a crack house in New Orleans where we get some kids smoking drugs, smoking drugs, yeah, smoking drugs, smoking dope or something. Can't quite tell what they have. Maybe crack because it's a crack house. Got knives, guns running around. And then we show inside and we see the, the woman from the cover here. Uh, they're knocking on this door. Or no, someone's okay. So these kids are inside the crack house and this woman's knocking on their door. And she's got like a, a French, maybe, je ne sais pas de manisiste, I am Mambo, and I come from Diablo. And I'm assuming that it's like a French, like the French court or something in New Orleans. Uh, again, I'm sure if, if one of the guys from, uh, one of our Canadian friends were here, uh, they could probably just translate that a little better for me, but they're not, so it's me. But anyways, she's telling them that they're fridging on Loa, that's L-O-A, territory, and they must go. And I like this kid shuts the little, you know, slider door to look who's there. He shuts it. Slam. Mambo, huh? We ain't impressed. 
And then one of the guys I've heard about, he's like, man, man, oh man, I, I warned Chick about this, this Loa. Man, they're not another gang, okay? They into voodoo. Scary stuff, man. A voodoo mafia, scary, right? Get serious, Richie. Okay, mama or mamba or whatever. You want some more? And he looks back out the peephole. He sees a zombie out there. And all of a sudden, all the doors break in and zombies come rushing in at him. It's a very nice panel here on page 15. They're shooting at the zombies, but again, it's zombies, so you got to double tap. But yeah, no, it's. I think it's a great, a great image here of the zombies just busting in and killing the, these crackheads. So Mambo can have the territory, and uh, or the Loa can have the territory. And again, so this is all setting up for uh, the upcoming arcs where you know the Suicide Squad, of course, have to deal with this because, well, <clears throat> that's why they're in here. But they're talking and Mambo's like, uh, should we not consider what to do about Amanda Waller and her minions at Bell Rev? We know they are not now aware of us. Waller could be transformable. And the guy she's talking with, I have given some thought and I've decided we must crush Waller entirely. Shall I call another Hugans? Damala? This guy's name is Dambala. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Raise more zombies? No, no. Open warfare is too risky. Something subtler, I think. Very sure. But very sure. In this case, we need to do a little more than tell. Now we know to those waiting to hear that one reporter who owes us a favor, Trent, I believe her name is, have her call me. We'll destroy Waller with the truth. And I'm not sure they're referring to of Trent offhand, but uh, again, that's for a future story. We'll come back to that, I'm sure, as I tell my wife over on the Quantum Leap podcast. Let's put a pin in that. Uh, so we're back at the Suicide Squad, uh, Bell Rev, and we get Punch. Just getting out of the pool. He's like, dum da dum take that and that and do you need to knock you flat. And he's going back to change and he opens his, his uh, locker up. It's full of pies. And his costume's hanging there. And he turns around. He's got the Suicide Squad facing him down. We got Captain Boomerang holding a boomerang. Waller, Julie, Major Victory, and some other people behind him. And he's all, the boomerang? Black, not my choice for throwing. Now, Coke Custard. And so his wife gets mad and jumps on. He's like, you creep. You pied me. Your own sweet little wifey. I'm going to rip out your eyes. I'm going to tear out your lungs. I'm going to yank your lion tongue out of your head. And then we get personal. <laughs> He's like, pumpkin, no. <laughs> Again, here on the bottom of page 18, Waller just pulls Julie off of him. like, child, child. Marital disputes should be resolved through discussion, not violence. This is your husband. And then she just tosses Julie aside. And he's like, she's like, I, on the other hand, ain't married to this weasel. And he pied me first. He's like, I was framed. Framed. I didn't do it. And his ball. <laughs> I can't hear it's great panels in here. Ball on page 18, Waller's just preparing to choke the crap out of Punch. Someone from off panel, which is Murph, we find on the next page. He says, uh, he's right, you know. And Waller's like, just looking at like, what? And then Murph, kind of in classic uh, whodunit style, Punches of the Mad Pie Men. And so he, pulled, he get, gets there from John Ostender. Ostender. From John Campos. Econos. Sorry, I messed up his guy's last name. And Waller's like, says who? Says the facts. The first three pie persons pied were you, Boomerang, and Nemesis. Punch wasn't in Bell River at the time. And as, as, as uh, Murph is talking to Waller, Waller still has her big meaty hands around... <laughs> Punch his throat. He's like, 
just a great, and again, it's abuse. It's, it's, uh, violence. And I guess it's not necessarily funny, but the way they're doing it here, I find it hilarious. I just love the way that Waller's just choking him. And he's, I actually listen to Murph explain why Punch can't be the Mad Pythrower. And so Waller's like, would you care to enlighten us then as to who the Pad Pied Pieman really is, simple Simon? Sure, item one. Given the personal changes, damn few people have been around Bell Riff since the Pythrower began. Pi- item two. Pies never got thrown when the missions team were away. That suggested the Pie Man was a member of missions. From there, it was a simple process of elimination. Some people weren't at Bell Rev during every pie throw, so I counted them out. Then I also eliminated anyone who, everyone who got hit by a pie, which left nobody. And Waller's like, she's all upset. There's like a red halo around her head showing how angry she is. She's like, are you saying I got splattered by a figment of somebody's imagination? And Mer's like, nope. I'm saying I had to rethink. The only possible answer is that one of the victims pied himself in order to throw off suspicion. Once I duped that out, it was a matter of opportunity, ability, and motive, which gave me my prime suspect. Now he's in there smoking a cigarette as he's t- telling all this. I the cameras maintain constant surveillance on my target. We watched the suspect pet the pies and punch his locker, setting up the frame. And I got it all on videotape. And he goes up to Boomerang. He's tag- he touches him in the chest. He's like, tag Boomer, but you're it. And Boomerang's like, Magni, mate, I got hit by that pie just under the missions room. The Waller cell saw it all happening. And again, Murph continues to explain. You rigged a Boomerang pie, flipped it down the corridor as you started in. Then you pretend to hear someone call your name, stepped back out into the pie's path, right where you knew it would go. Let's put it to a vote. Everyone who thinks Boomer butt through the pies, raise your fist. And we see like four fists. Raising the hair at Boomerang. This page, uh, bottom page 20, he's just wild looking his eye. It's okay, I did it. So what you gonna do, huh? Toss me off the squad? Big hairy deal. I quit. So what you gonna do to me now, huh? Fat lady? And I just love the, the look on Boomerang's face. It's just, his eyes are wide. It's just got a maniacal look on his face as he's getting in the Waller's. As he's getting to Waller's face, it's just a great panel. I love this. on page 20. And then page 21, we get a helicopter. And then Amanda Waller's throwing Boomerang off. And apparently, he's on an island about 20 miles from Australia. But again, it's an island, so it's about 20 miles as the fish swims. She said the island's got plenty of water and food. If you like fruit, the only thing he has got is people. He's like, say hello to your new home, slime ball. Uh Come back here, you bloody cow. You can't leave me here. You hear me? Ta-ta. Come back here. And so, as the boomerang flies away, or boomerang, the helicopter flies away, boomerang stuff landing on the beach, just yelling at him. And our final page comes up with uh, Jaeger Field, a few changes of planes later. And Waller, you know, she's getting off the plane, and I think John Economos is like, you're looking more chipper. She's like, hey, call it a pretty, call it petty, call it a mean streak, but I do feel better. Boomer Butt is gone, and the mad pie man is history. And all of a sudden, she gets up with another pie. And we see Murph off into the background. Me? I think there's something upholding tradition. Wouldn't you agree? As he throws the pie to the camera, at us, the viewer, the reader. And we ends with a splat as the pie hits, the, hits us in the face, as it were. It says, next, the secrets of the bronze tiger. Again, another great issue. I just love the Suicide Squad. This is the main reason I started this podcast. I also enjoy Checkmate, but 
Suicide Squad's fantastic. And uh, in the letter column, someone's asking, you know, get a little more about Boomerang, uh, maybe get into his head and stuff. And the editor's like, well, Digger's been sent away as of this issue, so it's unlikely we'll have a chance to get in his head over the next several issues. And I guess the only person that was able to guess the they, people wrote in saying who they thought the Mad Pythor was, and the only person to guess his identity prior to this issue was comic shop owner Jim Foyle, F-O-E-H-L, looks like, out on Long Island. Good job, Jim. I don't know how you figured it out, unless you went by uh, Murph's reasoning, And but great job. But I just looked through the letters page real quick, see if there's anything else to mention. I don't really see anything offhand. So again, that's going to end this, this episode. And again, so in the coming attractions, I will mention that. Uh, Dan, the editor, has been spending a lot of time talking to Jim and Jim, John and Kim about the direction of the series. He's also been talking about management, about marketing, other important matters. So there is definitely change in the wind. So I guess uh, Bob Greenberger writes the next issue, issue 38, from a script that John gave him. Because I guess John needs some time to rethink the squad, figure out what he's doing. Again, this the next issue is going to spotlight Ben Turner, a.k.a. Bronze Tiger. But it's mostly a Ben Turner versus Sarge Still with the life of the squad hanging in the line. And that sets up 39's explosive story. So, again, we'll see what happens. Again, there's a comment here about uh, Firestorm. Okay, so this is coming up to the f- issue 100 of Firestorm, which is the last issue. Uh, meanwhile, John and Dan have things hopping in Firestorm as they race towards issue 100. So, that fire, that was the last issue. I, I was sad to see Firestorm go. I, I love that book. Even though it was a complete change from what came previously... I enjoyed that book, but that's enough about Firestorm. Cause once again, this is not the fire and water podcast. This is task force X. Uh, but yeah, I've enjoyed, I say this was more of a, uh, a downtime issue, I guess. I mean, staying still happened, but I mean, it was, is a lull, I guess, between what happened with the, the whole apocalypse now storyline and an issue 40 starts another big uh, four issue crossover, not crossover, another four issue storyline, so this this issue uh, kind of is a a little break from that, I guess. It's ending everything and setting things up for the future. Uh, we'll see. But again, I enjoyed the series, as I said. Uh, just over an hour, I'm going to call it here. Uh, again, if you guys like what you're hearing, check us out over on Facebook. I have a Facebook group set up at this point. It's facebook.com slash groups slash headcast network. Uh, check out my new site. I've updated my headspeaks.com and I've also set up another domain, Headcast Network, which will have all the feeds for all the sh- my shows on there. Definitely check out that. Uh, check out my other shows. There's Headspeaks, G.I. Joe, or Real American Headcast, uh, the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, and then my newer, oh, and then uh, Bravo Team, which is my G.I. Joe companion show. And then me and the wife have a couple of new shows. Uh, the Starbright Project, which is looking at the Quantum Leap TV show, and Voyager's cast, looking at the the time travel show Voyagers from 1982. A couple of great shows I love, so me and the wife's talking about them. Check that out. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Send me an email to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. Again, taskforcex at headspeaks.com. That'll come to me. 
I may be changing that here in the near future, but I'll let you guys know. Um, I'm just trying to thank. Again, if you like my shows, if you like what I'm doing, head over to patreon.com slash headcast network to check out what I'm doing there. If you like I said, if you're enjoying my shows, throw a few bucks in the tin. I thought I set this up a couple of months ago. I just got looking and actually I forgot the final step. So it should be live now. So check out patreon.com slash headcastnetwork.com. Like I said, if you enjoy my shows, throw a few bucks in the tin, help me get some better equipment. Maybe I can get some comic shows once the world reopens. I don't know. Anyways, that's going to do it for this month. Uh, next month, join us back here when we look at Checkmate and the next issue of Suicide Squad. But until then, Squadmates dismissed. to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just had crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, Plus, you can look for taskforcex under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... Well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yippee!